people on the floor sending messages saying how horrible the environments they were working in and how they were ready to actually take their own life on the floor was so moving to me. Like the profession has given back so much to me that I couldn't not give back to it again. Hello, Positive Leaders. Thanks for joining us today. You are listening to the Positive Leadership Podcast with Andrea Crabtree and David List, a podcast for everything a veterinary manager needs to know to get the job done. We've been there and we know how hard it is and are here to help share our knowledge and expertise to elevate you. I'm Andrea Crabtree, co-founder of Positive Leadership Podcast, owner of FurPause Consulting, a certified veterinary practice manager, and HR certified professional. And I'm David Liss, co-founder of the Positive Leadership Podcast. I'm also a certified veterinary practice manager, hold an MBA, and I'm a registered veterinary technician. And this podcast is for you, the veterinary practice manager, supervisor, and leader. We want to elevate you by equipping you with relevant content, material, guidelines, instruction, feedback, and pro tricks and tips. We will deliver real life experience along with our super smart guests that will get you through the obstacles that you're facing today with some bloopers and blunders along the way to remind you that you're not alone. FurPaws Consulting has deep expertise in helping veterinary practices reach their full potential for all types of practices, whether specialty, emergency, or general practice, by working alongside the practice owner and manager. Are you a practice owner or practice manager with a challenge and not enough bandwidth to tackle it? Reach out to me, Andrea Crabtree, owner of FurPaws Consulting, with the question that keeps you up at night. I'm able to provide expertise and insight to navigate those tricky obstacles. Find my info in the show notes. Email me at andrea at furpaws.us or check out my website at www.furpawsconsulting.com. Welcome, Positive Leadership listeners. We are super excited today to have an amazing guest, Christine Stafford, who is the president and partner of Veterinary Emergency and Specialty Center and co-disruptor of Stafford Brooks Consulting. Christine, we are so thrilled to have you on the show today. Thanks for coming by. Oh, thank you guys for having me. I'm so excited. I just, I really appreciate the invite. Welcome, Christine. Awesome. Christine, I do not know much about you, and I have just uh, LinkedIn requested you and uh, asked you to, uh, you know, hook up on LinkedIn. I've read a little bit about you, but I don't know much. Can you tell me about yourself and how you got to be where you are today? Yeah, absolutely. So my background's fairly diverse. I'm actually a graduate gemologist, and at the age of 19, I started a jewelry uh, store in Bellevue, Washington. And um, I sold that store when I was 29. And through that, I've just made a lot of connections in the business world. And I got into project management software for a startup company in the 90s. They sold. And then I progressed to just knowing people from different professions. And through connections, I connected with someone and got involved in HESCA and was in a sales role within HESCA. That's actually what got me started in the veterinary field. And I took over a five-state territory managing um, HESCA as a sales rep. And through HESCA, I got into, a friend of mine was in Vegas, and one of their companies that they were managing in Vegas, a veterinary emergency hospital, was having um, issues. And I 
they asked me to come down there and manage a veterinary emergency hospital for them. So I was supposed to be there for six months and I ended up being down there for five years and took a tiny uh, old school veterinary hospital from an overnight hospital and built up a specialty referral hospital in um, Vegas. And then um, took that and was recruited to go and work for Eklund Medical Systems. And I was a general manager for VIA project management software as one of my diverse backgrounds was managing uh, software development. Uh, from there, VIA sold to Eklund or VIA sold to v, uh, VCA. Uh, through all of this, I was doing some consulting in uh, veterinary medicine. And I was asked to do some consulting for a company called Bush Veterinary Neurology Service. So I got lured to the East Coast, started with Bush and took Bush Veterinary Neurology and Bush Advanced Veterinary Imaging from a one-doctor neurology practice to a 13-doctor veterinary neurology practice. Wow. Uh, Yeah, over three locations, I mean, uh, five locations over three states residency program, internship program. Yeah, pretty big company. We're actually the largest veterinary neurology practice in the world. And then in that, we opened a couple emergency practices, developed a 36,000 square foot um, specialty referral practice in Richmond, Virginia, one in Rockville. And then through all of that, we sold several of those companies, one to the Mars Corporation and one to uh, NVA. Fantastic. I love to hear all the twists and turns and and bends that our paths take us through veterinary medicine, right? I mean, it's just amazing how you can go from a gemologist to where you are today. It's fantastic. I love yeah, it. It's, yeah, it's a pretty interesting background. Not not yeah. the typical veterinary. I was not the one that grew up and said, I want to be a vet. Yeah, right, right. Industry. Yes, but I yeah. love it. I'm 25 years now. So in all your experience, do you happen to have a favorite book or podcast or CE or class or something that really had a lasting effect on you? Yeah, it was it took me a lot of thought about this. I'm not a huge reader, to be honest. Um, I like to talk with people and hear about people's stories and adapt that to how I manage and learn. But in 2005, I was fortunate enough to attend a transformation retreat in Teotihuacan, Mexico, and meet Don Miguel Ruiz and his son, Don Jose. And as you guys probably know, Don Miguel wrote The Four Agreements. And so I got to spend Mm -hmm, a week with him in Teotihuacan. It was really amazing. I bet. Um, Yeah. And at different stages in my career, I think The Four Agreements stand out at different times. And I think right now, uh, the don't make assumptions is really a big impact right now. Yeah. Yeah. The industry is going through such a change and we're such poor communicators in the field. And that assumptions are changing the way that we're looking at things. A big one for me personally is the four agreements. And then from a leadership angle, I really like, it's a, called the invisible spotlight, why managers can't hide. And it's a really simple book, it's only about 150 pages, but it's something I ask all my doctors and general staff to read. And it's based upon real life stories as opposed to cliches. And I tell and I teach and I coach through stories. And it's a really, really good, simple book to read. So I, I recommend that. To awesome. Thanks. Yeah, I haven't heard of that one. Yeah, yeah The yeah, Invisible Spotlight. Yeah, Why Invisible Managers Can't Hide. Awesome. Yeah. Some great parallel stories in it. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. So let's yeah. dive in. Your title at your consulting firm is Co-Disruptor. Yeah. Why did you pick that title? And does veterinary medicine need disruption? 
obviously from my history, you can see that I kind of like to carve my own path. I, I've really done a lot of different things and I think brought that to, the, to veterinary medicine. I retired after we sold the neurology practice. So I, restart, I retired about at age 50, took some time off. And when I looked at re-entering the field during such a tumultuous time a couple of years ago, I really felt that I needed a bold kind of unconventional title. I wanted something that was going to say I was here to shake things up and that the status quo wasn't going to work and I wanted to make an impact. So co-disruptor is just something that my partner Katie and I came up with. Interestingly enough, it was not well received. We got a lot of negative feedback about it. From wow, I'm surprised. Yeah, yeah, I love it. yeah, it was. It was a lot of really negative feedback. They said that people weren't, they were going to look at it that we didn't need disrupted and it was a kind of a negative thought process. And, you know, we just kept marching forward. Now, when I look at LinkedIn, it's a pretty regular headline and a pretty mm-hmm. regular title across LinkedIn. So we love it, but it definitely wasn't well received in the beginning. And from a, do we need to be disrupted? Yeah, I, I think we do. I'll qualify my answer with, I love disrupting things. I, I see it as a positive. I think the industry has gone through several disruptions um, over the years. You know, some call it change or evolution. We can label it in a lot of different ways. But I think we're at a pivotal point and a major disruption needs to occur now. And it's really one of the reasons that my partner and I started Stafford Brooks and Partner. Way back when in Vegas, when I got into the field, the profession was 90% men at the hospital level in ownership. And now that pendulum swung to 85% women at the hospital level. Uh, And corporate is now the majority of the ownership, at least in the specialty side. And while, you know, 85% of the clinical level is women, we probably only represent about 5% at the executive level and maybe 1% to 2% at at the ownership level. So do we need to disrupt it? Absolutely. You know, women leaders and diversity in general we need a seat at the table and we need to have our voices heard. So consolidation has made that a lot more difficult for us. I did work post-acquisition of our companies. I did go into corporate and it was all men. You know, It was a difficult place for me to get into and to have my voice heard. So yeah, I think that we definitely need the disruption because we're going down a path that the field is not good for the field by any means. You know, corporations tend to have this extractive business model where private ownership is looking for a sustainable model. So I think we're looking to come in and give that disruption or kind of pull it apart and bring it back to where it was, you know, probably five to eight years ago and give what I would say hope to the profession that I feel has lost a lot of hope. Yeah. And Christine, I want to dive into this a little bit because Yeah, like let's unpack this, girlfriend. So your consulting firm, Stafford Brooks, is women-owned and led. So tell me a little bit about how you all came together in this structure and what it is that women-owned and led organization mean to you. So I, like I was saying, I was happily retired. I was sitting in Brevard, North Carolina in July of 2020. We sold our uh, neurology and imaging practice in 2018. And I started receiving messages from friends and former employees about colleagues committing suicide. I mean, a lot of messages were coming through. They were coming through about the stress of the profession. And it it really rocked me to my core. Like I hadn't seen in the 20 years I've been doing this, I hadn't seen things like this. 
And I couldn't stop thinking about what was happening. And, and I had not contemplated coming back into the profession. I really wanted to retire. There was other things I wanted to do. I had books in mind, but I just couldn't get over the fact that the profession has kind of devolved to the point that it had. So over the next couple of months, I reached out to a friend of mine, Katie, who's a close colleague that I'd worked a, a long time with and said, we need to do something like we have got to figure out a way to give back to the field and the, and the profession that had given us so much. So we started with Stafford Brooks, which is just going to be a consulting firm that we could go out and help people reimagine, relook at how they were running their businesses and give back to something. Um, so we wanted to do it through coaching. Uh, we both run very successful companies. She runs a very successful company. And we wanted to help our colleagues navigate this new world. We were going through COVID. Consolidation was really taking over. So not long after that, I had lunch with a friend of mine who worked in that worked with me in an ER practice. And she was starting to tell me how difficult it was in the ER world. And so in what my friends will tell you in typical ER, in Christine, typical Christine fashion, I said, let's just open an old school ER and make a great environment for the team again. Like we can do this. This is easy. We've done it a, a bunch of times. And they're like, great. I'm like, okay, perfect. So that turned into uh, an urgent care uh, that we're opening April 8th. And we have two 20,000 square foot specialty hospitals following that. And so it just slowly has organically grown into this kind of life of its own company. And what was important to us is to have representation of every level of a role within a hospital at the ownership level. I think the the technicians, the client service reps are not heard at the ownership level. I don't really on a day-to-day basis understand exactly what a CSR goes through or exactly what a technician goes through. We think we do, but we don't really quite know that. And so having, we have Anne and Emma and and Heather, our co-owners, sit at the table with us and have this dialogue completely changes the dynamic of how we make decisions, how we look at things. And they have the same voice that we do, while not necessarily the same ownership level, but they have the exact same voice that we do. So for us, it kind of came together naturally. It wasn't something that we specifically set out to do. It was for us more important that we had a representation of each level within the hospital we wanted people around us that was just going to help us reimagine the profession. But with the profession being predominantly women, it just fell in place that it was all women around us. But it it wasn't something we specifically went out and set out to do. Amazing. I absolutely yeah. love it. Amazing. Yeah. I'm almost speechless. <laughs> I know. All of these individuals around us, these great, great, great people around us are people that we've all known for 10 to 15 years. And it literally just came organically together because I mean, the text messages that I could read you about people on the floor sending messages saying how horrible the environments they were working in and how they were ready to actually take their own life on the floor was so moving to me. Like the field has given back, the profession has given back so much to me that I couldn't not give back to it again. I mean, that mm-hmm. and Katie uh, Brooks, our part, my main partner was the same way. She's like, how can we walk away in a time of great need? And the the three other incredible people around us were the same way. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. So you're referring to, I guess, partner veterinary emergency and specialty center where you're the 
the president and your, you know, your job ads, which are out there now, say that you're reimagining veterinary medicine. How yeah. so? So, yeah, I'll start by saying that um, this is probably maybe a little out there, but I believe that leadership and ownership is failing our profession. And I, I say it pretty loudly. And I realize it's kind of a lofty blanket statement that not every leader is failing, but I think a large majority are. And I explain to the teams and I explain to people when I'm talking to them that we all individually have a craft. And it's just a word that I like to use. And since I don't have a depth of education uh, behind me, I look at what I do as a craft of managing and innovating businesses. That's my craft. That's what I bring to the table. My clinical team's craft is delivering amazing client service. They deliver top patient care. They deliver top medical services. And if I'm performing my craft at the top of my game, they can perform their craft. Somewhere along this way, I, I feel that leaders have stopped innovating. We've stopped being collaborative. We've stopped pushing. We've stopped changing. And we've pushed a lot of that to the day-to-day operations of the clinical teams. You know, we've asked them to be inventory people and fix-it people and laundry people. You name it. We've added all of this to their plate. So we've not only asked them to perform their trained craft, we've also asked them to do all these other crafts. I think consolidation is probably part of this problem. And I also think some complacency is part of the problem. So we are rebuilding all of that. And we've got the, the benefit because we're starting from scratch. So every part of the business we challenge and some very specific things about it is I talked about, I think in the opening a little bit is that we give a, a week of paid wellness time off for every new team member that starts with us. We want them to leave behind the old way of thinking, and you need to reset your mind to be able to do that. And so we give them this one week of time off in addition to three weeks paid vacation. Um, they're coming from unhealthy environments, and we are expecting them to come into a new environment. They kind of got to let that baggage, that kind of old baggage go. We give them a wellness package on kind of how to do that and how to set their, their mindset around coming into a new place of business. We don't want them to bring that with them. Another thing is we're really into words, like words matter to us. So re-looking at things like team leads or team supervisors, when you say those words, you can see people cringe. Like they just like, I don't want to do that job. Like everybody hates that person. No one wants to be the team lead. So we use things like team advocate or um, team partner. When you say team advocate, people think differently. Everybody wants to be an advocate for their team. It's not like we're going to let the team get away with everything. But if I say I'm a team advocate, I feel better about that. My, my thought process is different than when I say a team supervisor. Again, it's something simple, but we're re-looking at the way they look at their jobs so they think differently about it. Like job descriptions, we look at them as a job mission. You know, when you look at the um, description of what a job mission is, you're undertaking an important duty. So they're coming in, they're performing a mission with inside the the practice. Getting rid of buzzwords like work-life balance. What does it actually, you know, when like what does work-life balance mean? It means something kind of different to everybody, but we use that as a buzzword but no one really understands what that means. Mm-hmm. And what it means to you is what different than what it means to me. Like ask a doctor that. You see these ads for work-life balance. It's like, what does that mean? 
And they're like, well, I don't know. I, I, I want to be home more. I'm like, well, mm-hmm. so you want to be home more. Does that mean you want to get home at five o'clock on a Wednesday or you want to get home at eight o'clock on a Wednesday? Well, I don't know. I just want to be home more. Okay. We need to define what that means. So we meet, mm-hmm. we meet expectation and no one talks about stuff like that, right? They don't talk about what does your schedule actually look like? Do you want to be a eight to five doctor or do you want to be a nine to two doctor? So I think a lot of it's the transparent, transparency in the conversation. You know, when I talked earlier about making assumptions, a lot of what people do in our field is make assumptions as opposed to having true dialogue and conversation about expectations. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that those are some simple things, I guess, that we were doing from a reimagining, if that makes sense. Fascinating and also disruptive and, and amazing <laughs> to actually ask, what does work-life balance mean and, and why do we use that term? That's amazing. So I have a little bit of a, a follow-up question. So sure. I love all of this stuff that you've presented. And I know that you know the reality of some of what our teams go through. And I just want to set the stage for a minute. So partner VESC is going to open and the phones are going to ring off the hook. There's going to be a code on one table, a block cat on another. Technician's going to, I hate to say it, but get COVID and call out. You're going to have overnight staff that you know, usually have, I don't know, making this up three, three techs and they're down to one. You're going to have an RVT that loved to work for partner for a minute and then they've got another job and sub recruited elsewhere. There's going to be burnout and compassion fatigue because I think that we're dealing with just a lot of things to do every day and they're very intense and they're very heavy and you've got clients that are, you know, yelling and screaming or not paying their bills or whatever it is. And then you've mm-hmm. got, um, you know, disconnect from your passion and why. And I hate to say this, but I do think, and I, and I, you know, I do think that there's some kind of realities that that kind of is the profession. I'm not saying that that dealing with it is a different piece, but like, there's always going to be more clients than techs, right? More clients than doctors. There's always going to be sick animals. So it's kind of how we manage through that and how we handle. It's really our psyches that have gotten really broken this last couple of years. What is your plan to combat that? You know, what is your plan to say, look, you know, unless you're going to truly change the market, like not take certain clients or only see certain, you know, really change that landscape. If you're going to be, you know, an open ER 24 hours that sees everybody um, and veterinarians too, I'm speaking more from the support staff lens, but veterinarians um, who went to vet school and want to do chest tubes and central lines and their clients are, you know, putting animals to sleep right and left. And it's very difficult. What are your thoughts on how you guys are going to tackle that? It's a great question. So we have a tele-triage system that we have a group of veterinarians that work for us. So the first line of defense is, is monitoring what comes in the door. We know in veterinary medicine that 50% of the cases that come into a veterinary ER are not emergent cases. They're emergent because the client feels they are emergent, but the case is actually not emergent. So we have a group of vets that want to work with us that will triage those calls through through teletriage. So bringing in less cases through the door and working with the most emergent cases and dealing with the less emergent cases that don't need to actually be physically seen by a doctor through a network of remote doctors that can handle the case remotely. So if I can decrease the number of cases through the door, but increase the quality of cases through the door, I can increase the quality of life for the doctors that are there because they're treating cases that they really want to be treating and giving the highest level of care, which is going to give them more job satisfaction, the the staff more job satisfaction, but still give the quality of feedback care to clients that need it, but don't actually need to be seen. 
So telehealth, teletriage is one of the best ways that we can do this. Yeah, filtering. I constantly am working with yep. my clients of like filter what's coming through yes. your door because if you don't filter, it's chaos. Yes. And it gives people, it gives our doctors that are burned out an option to not necessarily be in the clinic the whole time. So we've got, if, you know, one of our recruitings for our doctors is you can work two days in the practice and two days in teletriage. You can work three days in the practice or three days. Yeah, a little bit bit of balance there. A little bit of balance there. And they love it. Same thing. We have a group of specialists that want to do the same thing. So we have a network of specialists that can be the backup for our internal doctors to give them the support they need when they have a case that might be a little bit over their head or they're not quite sure how to treat that case or they just need the backup. So I think it's creating a support system that's not currently there for the doctors and managing the caseload that's coming through. From an urgent care perspective, you can turf that case, right? Like if it's a derm case or it's an ear case, that ear case doesn't traditionally need to come into the ER practice. But if we have an, an urgent care, it can go to the urgent care. But I think managing the level of cases you just said that's coming into the practice is one of the key ways that we're going to better satisfy the quality of medicine that we're that we're providing and give a level of satisfaction to the staff that's there and to our doctors. Okay, great. I love it. I want to pick at this a little bit more because you've been talking about your specialists and some of your veterinary mm-hmm. staff and mm-hmm. your employee staff and your team that, you know, that you're starting you know, working with and giving them breaks. And I just love this. So I I have to ask, with specialists and veterinary employees, so hard to find right now, like the candidate pool is no longer a pool. It's like dried up, crusty pond with mold on top, right? Knowing that you're looking for particular team members, like to share this unicorn experience with, how have you and your leadership team gone about recruiting these unique employees that are going to be a part of your team? So we like to joke around that our problem is that we have the people that, but we don't have a place to put them. So the main reason that we started Partner is we actually had the people, but didn't have a place. So our first place, our first location wasn't supposed to be open until fourth quarter of this year, but I had a group of people that I needed to have a home. And I literally was driving by a building in Richmond, Virginia, which, and I love Richmond and drove by a closed down animal hospital. And I called my partner. I said, we need to open an urgent care. We've got like all these people who want to work for us. They're ready to go, but we don't have a home for them. So November 23rd, 24th, 25th, we're in there. I drove by the building and called our group of uh, real estate investors and said, let's buy this building. I've got this group of people that stick them in there and we're going to open on April 8th. So we actually, and I know this sounds not realistic or real, we have the opposite problem. I have the people, I don't have the place to put them. And to give in context, we had 80 people apply for seven jobs. Wow. I think that that just goes to show that you've built your network, but also established a rapport and a brand within our profession to say, if you want to be a part of something healthy, yes, then come here. I think that's a huge kudos, like pat yourself on the back. What I, I work with my leadership teams on is culture, like Edible. quit looking for yeah. other people and keep the people you have. Yeah, yeah I do. Right? Yes. 100%. Make them happy. <laughs> they're, they're out there. They're, they're, and I, I'm a 
quiet. When you say you guys don't hear know much about me, I, we're not ones to be out bragging or talking. Like we're just yeah, very but you don't humble. have to. Yeah, we're just <laughs> yeah. We're very humble right. people. Right, words out, girlfriend. <laughs> yeah, we're very humble people. We just kind of do our jobs. Um, both both our my Katie and and I. And all these little things that we talk about really do add up. I mean, it sounds strange when you say you you call a job description a job mission, but we take time every day out of hours sometimes and analyze every word in our job descriptions. We analyze every workflow. We take the time that most people don't take to actually put together the organization of the company. So we've been working on the company for a year of our own money, our own time, just to work on the operations. How does it actually functionally work? We've installed Paylocity. We have a pro- we have a, a project management software called Rike. So everything in the business is transparent. So these 80 applicants have all come through Paylocity. Mm-hmm. Big companies don't have that. So I, I have the proof that this is happening. Everything that we do is well thought out and we can articulate that not as well as I'm doing probably, but we can articulate oh, no. that Amazing. to the people that we are. <laughs> um, we can really articulate that to the people that we're recruiting mm-hmm. and show them. And, you know, like doctors, I, I think the, the big problem with doctors is we don't talk about money up front. You know, we had 13 neurologists. That's unheard of <laughs> to have 13 neurologists in one company. And one of the things I would first ask is like, how much money do you want to make? Like, Because really, in the end, that's really going to dictate your work-life balance. Mm-hmm. Do you want to make a half a million? Do you want to make 250000 Because if you want to make a half a million, your schedule is going to be, I can tell you exactly what your schedule is going to be, how many cases you need yeah, to see, right. and how many yeah. employees you make. You, you can break that 100, down. Right. Yeah, you want to make 150? Right. That's fine, too. But this right. is what you're going to get. And people don't have that dialogue, right? They don't have that. So they... They sign contracts, they come to work, and all of a sudden, they had an expectation or they made an assumption, mm-hmm. I'm going to work three days a week and make half a million dollars. It's like, well, no, you're not. That's not going to happen. Right. right. So, numbers yeah, don't work that way. Numbers yeah. don't work that way. So we're very transparent. And then within that, you have to tell each of them what we've agreed to the other person, right? If I've told Dr. X, He's going to work two days a week and on Wednesdays he gets out at two o'clock because he needs to take his child to soccer. I better tell Dr. Y I agreed to that because mm-hmm. if I don't, then they're yeah. going to have animosity towards each other. Right. Right. So they're, and so no one has that conversation. We don't talk about that. Right. We don't say, well, that's the agreement I made. So again, all of these assumptions happen, mm-hmm. anger, discontent happens. So there's a complete lack of transparency within organizations. And I just, I don't, we don't believe in that. So everything mm-hmm. is talked about. There isn't anything that we don't, that, I mean, there's just some things you can't talk about. There's for the majority, yeah, it's all right. talked about. Yeah, yeah. We, right. It's just like, hey, this is just what it is. Just transparency there. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's, it. you have to. And we ran very successful businesses, both Katie and I did. And so we knew we could do it again. I don't say we don't have a problem recruiting, but I can tell you that we have five locations on our map only because I can put doctors and staff in all five locations wow. without a problem. With, right. With, yeah, without a problem. Yeah. Wow. Amazing. There's not many places that can say that. That's Yeah, incredible. right. No. So you've had a really lengthy and rich 
career in veterinary management. You've been a territory manager, a hospital director, software consultant, a corporate leader, CEO, consultant. What are some of your passions in veterinary leadership operations and why those? A hundred percent the people. We have the most amazing people in our profession and I do it for the people. I'm no more, no less. I love the people. There's not a lot of people that want to do mentor the people at the clinical level up into levels like all of us are in. And I think that's sad. They are why I am where I am today. And they've allowed me the luxury to be retired and come back. And so I get up every day to give back to each of them. And so every part of every being I have of every day is what can I do to enrich the lives of the people that are that surround me and that want to be a part of what I'm trying to create. And that's Every day, I, that's what I think about is the people and what do I do to help them and enrich their lives as they've helped enrich mine. Yeah, I love that. And I always say, like, I love animals. Don't get me wrong, but I love people. And I love the people specifically in our profession because we're just amazing. I mean, they're, the group they of, are amazing. They're yes, just amazing they're, people. They're, yeah. they're incredible people. Yeah. And, and I've had, I've been fortunate to be able to take and mentor people across multiple of my companies and my careers and take them along with me. And now I get to watch them be extremely successful. And that's the, the most rewarding thing I think I've ever been able to do yeah, in my life. Is the that intrinsic yeah. reward. Yeah, yeah right. So, so yeah. You, you talked about a bunch of different crises that veterinary medicine is facing. Consolidation, unhealthy, toxic environments, the fact that leadership has completely let down our profession, and a few more. Do you think that you could narrow in on one or two that you feel like rises above the rest? And what can we do to change that landscape? So I think for us, that it's that we've narrowed it to two for us, it's just the industry-wide team member discontent. So just how unhappy our teams have become, and that's inadequate emotional support, lack of functioning, just basics of equipment, disjointed teams, poor organizational support, inadequate compensation, um, the feeling of loss of control of their schedule, they're overworked, understaffed. So the team member discontent, I think, is the the, the big one. Um, solutions that you know that we're putting in place is this balance of life, expect, setting expectations, simple stuff, uh, flexible, unique work schedules. Our doctors, we ask them what they want to work. I think the eight to five is we need to do away with that from a from a specialist scheduling. So we have doctors that want to work 12 to 7, 9 to 8. And people, clients will come when our doctors are available. So we have to be more flexible with that. Finding personal and professional harmony with them. Transparency and mutual success between the teams. So discontent with our teams and then finding solutions for those. And then the next, what leads into that is the lack of access for emergency and specialty care. I can't find access for my own pet in the town that I live in. The emergency clinics have completely shut down. So their doors are not open at two o'clock in the morning for me to take my own dog in to get care. Wow. Yeah, it's so sad. It's in most cities right now, right? We all know people and we still can't get care. So how do we do that through the approach of teletriage, telemedicine, consultations, the way that we're designing our buildings? We come from in specialty medicine, inside of our buildings, we've created these barriers that limit communication, it limits care, it limits collaboration. We've, we've put up all of these walls 
And so when you walk by internal medicine, the doors shut and we, um, you know, surgery, everything's shut down. Like we've, we've isolated ourselves inside of our buildings. So eliminating that and opening communication back up so we feel more of a part of a team inside of the buildings. And then how do we train people better? How do we give them opportunity to grow with inside of our fields, listening to what they want? And in our offers that we just made to a couple of employees, they want to become a VTS and someone wants to become a CVPM. So we added to their offer that they had no idea about money towards those. Um, so one of them we gave you know, $500 to, towards becoming a CVMP and another one towards their VTS. But that wasn't something we talked about with them. It was just an added bonus because we heard that's what they wanted to do. So how do we give kind of a novel training and team when we do our team selection and just by listening to them? That's amazing. Amazing. Love it. And I'm glad that you dropped some of those yeah, uh, advanced really love it. pathways yeah, for managers and technicians. Yeah. At the Positive Leadership Podcast, we really like these to be fairly actionable too, so that our listeners can hear a lot of great concepts and then try to put some of this into practice. We record these on Fridays, we release them on Wednesdays. And so we always joke that, you know, it's Friday. So on Monday, um, you know, what are some things that that managers could do tomorrow? So I think it probably goes without saying that you're probably an amazing mentor. And at the level you are as a consultant, CEO, hospital director and partner, you probably have and will continue to mentor people who are not owners, but are managers, um, hospital managers. And so we have a lot of them that listen to our podcast. So they may or may not have either an ownership stake or even any, you know, seat at that ownership table, but they are responsible for executing the, you know, the policies and procedures of the of the owner. So what are one or two like really good action items that a hospital manager, non-owner could put into place, you know, tomorrow that you think would really improve their clinic culture? And as you said, break down some of these walls, break down some of the barriers and disrupt their practice probably for the better. So the, the number one thing I tell people is to actively listen to their team. I don't think but people don't listen. Our new leaders, as they come in, when I had the neurology practices, I would say walk into the treatment room and just stop and listen. You'll know everything you need to know in the first five minutes of walking in just by listening. I think we've become poor listeners. And I, I notice this on Zoom or you notice it um, just walking in, people are on their phones. They're not actually actively listening. They're, they're writing down things. They're talking to people. They're, they're not actively engaged with their employees or they're just shaking their head. So actively listening to our team, repeating back to them what you've heard, clarifying what they're saying, and then following, you know, truly following up on it. If somebody's saying that there's a problem, there's an issue, the follow through and being available, I think is the most important. So actively listening every day when you're walking into your team, I think is one of the most important things. Any leader at the basic, it costs no money, no time. And I think we think we actively listen, but we actually don't. Putting the phone down, putting your paper down, sitting with somebody, looking in their eyes, repeating back to them, saying to them, so this is what I heard you say to clarify, to make sure you actually understood what they're telling you. And then following up with any actionable items that they've asked of you. The follow through tends to be where we fall down on our knees is they want us to do something then we actually don't do it. I think that's to me one of the most important things. It is the most important thing. Great. I love that. And, and I, I think that there's so many ways that we can ask too. 
one-on-one questions, employee surveys. Mm-hmm. Like I say that, like say it again for the people in the back. Like, are you, did you ask your team? <laughs> like, Correct. you know, we, we're making these assumptions. You go back to that word, right? Did you ask your team? How are you going about that? Don't make the assumptions that, you know, you know what they need. Well, when I, when I talked about the crisis in the veterinary medicine we're facing, all of those, the industry-wide member, those two items came from the profession. We actually surveyed the profession to ask them what they were dealing with and distilled it down to what it came from them, not what we thought it was. Because what I think it is and what they think it is were actually quite different or a little bit different anyways. So yeah, I, I think asking them what their viewpoint is and what they're feeling it's actually quite simple. I think we as leaders make it complex. We make it complex with all these theories yeah, right. and all this exactly. stuff. Yeah, it's actually very, Into very simple. Yeah, they yeah. Wanna, yeah, they want to be heard. They want to be acknowledged. Today, we have new all these new employees starting, and I left welcome gifts to all of the new team members. And I honestly forgot somebody. They, I somehow in the process that the name didn't get to me. And I, I mean, I feel horrible because it's just not who I am. So I, I sat and videoed a message to this particular um, team member and sent it to her like 20 minutes ago. I'm like, I'm so sorry. I, you know, I, this isn't normally who I am. But that little tidbit to acknowledge that I, this fell through the cracks. You are important to us. I'll see you next week. Oh, yeah, some go. authenticity and transparency. Yeah. And I'm, and I make mistakes gift. too. Yeah, yeah right. More than the gift that I left the rest goes of the farther. team. Remember that yeah. right? It goes farther, right? Yeah. So yeah, it's listening to right. the team. It's quite simple stuff, I think. Christine, if you could give one piece of advice to the listeners or or maybe even to your younger self, what would that be and why? Oh, one piece of advice? Do what you love. Leave where you don't love. Get out of the environment that you're not happy in. There's many, many more environments that you can be successful in. Life is really short. Um, so definitely move into an environment that feeds your soul. Don't stay in an environment that is not feeding who you are and feeding the health of you. I think that there's a lot of negativity in our field right now, in our profession right now, but there's a lot of positive. There's a lot of great people out there with great practices. Go find that practice and let it feed your soul. Don't stay in in an environment that's not going to um, fill you and fill who you are as as a person and fill you who you are as your career. Don't stay in a place that you don't feel that is going to do right by you. Yeah, love it. Love it. You have been in our profession for a very long time and not even in the veterinary profession. It sounds like a lot of different, uh, (laughs) a lot of different paths and uh, journey down the the road. Can you give a uh, encounter and a story where, whether it be with like a client, employee, or even, you know, as a gemologist, can you tell me? something at a time where you just like, wow, your chin hit the ground and your eyes popped out of your head like a pug and your palm hit your forehead. And you just said like, no freaking way this just happened. Seriously, you can't make this shit up. Can you share your story with us? Yeah. So um, I, again, I, I was later in life came to the profession and I was in Vegas and I had never worked in a hospital before, never ran a hospital, never been in the back of a hospital. And it was like my third day on the job. And I'm kind of a, at that point, I was a rule follower and we had financial rules you had to follow and you had to leave a, you know, a discount on every estimate. And a woman came in with her, you know, I call it the pocket chihuahua. I mean, the chihuahua had never touched the ground and painted finger, you know, toenails. 
and she was dressed in an interesting manner. And the dog had gotten into a substance that uh, a dog should not get into. So got in a little bit of pot and was acting quite strange. And so we put a, a estimate together. And um, she said, we were like, you know, you have to leave 50% of the deposit. And the team was sitting there. And she's like, well, I'm going to go to work and I'll be right back with the deposit. And she was dressed in a manner, maybe a, huh. she might have been doing some dancing. <laughs> and i'm you know at this point in time like i was prim and proper and i come from corporate america i'm like no you can't you have to leave the deposit we can't take your dog without deposit and my team's like and this is vegas and i'm from seattle so we're, it's a little bit different environments they're like no yeah, Christine, a little bit a little bit different they're like no christina's fine i'm like nope she's got to leave the deposit you know this is the way it works we have the rule fine she's like i'm just going to go down the street and i'll be right back with the deposit and I'm like, no, and I'm like, it's in the team and I are, they're pulling me to the back room. And I'm like, and I, and again, no, I don't know what her job you is. You haven't put it together yet, I'm, right? I was pretty naive at the at this point in time. And the, the team's like, Christine, let her go. She'll be right back. I'm like, oh, well, you know, and I was like, oh, like, you know, very naive. And I'm like, I mean, still, I'm in my thirties and still naive. And so they're like, just trust us. I'm like, okay. And this clinic was having financial problems. And so I'm really like, no, she can't leave. Yeah. So right. lo and behold, an hour or so later, she walks back into practice with many $1 bills. <laughs> and she, right. pay, she pays her deposit. <sighs> and we treated her beautiful little her chihuahua. And she was lovely and takes the chihuahua and walks away. I love that. <laughs> yeah, that was a Good quite, stuff. Yes, That's it was, awesome. quite the learning lesson from yeah. the team got a kick out of it. And, and I got a kick. I learned a lot in Vegas for sure. In but it all stayed there, right? That's oh, the... it all stayed there. Yeah, what happened in Vegas stays in Vegas. Vegas. Yeah. Um, yeah. But that was, a, that was an interesting one for me. That's yeah. awesome. Yep. Hey, Andrea here. Have you seen our social media pages? Be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram. You can also find us on our website, www.positiveleaders.com. And if you like what you see there, be sure to give Rhonda and Linda a shout out over at Dog Days Consulting. They do all of our social media management. They even built our website. Those ladies can work some creative magic for your business and your brand. Check them out on Facebook at Dog Days Consulting or visit their website at www.dogdaysconsulting.com. So at this point in the show, we're going to go into the rapid fire. Tell me about your most epic failure that has left a lasting impact. I honestly look at failure as successes. So from when I reflect on it, um, I don't really have any. It's probably egotistical. So every failure I turn into a positive. Tell me about your proudest moment. My proudest moment is I have a mentor that I mentored a team member from my Vegas hospital, and she's now moved on to manage one of the largest VCA hospitals in California. Why veterinary medicine? What do you love about our profession? The people. I love the people. Self-care. How do you practice it? How do you decompress? I run on a daily basis. I run anywhere from 30 to 40 miles a week. How do you balance work and life? And do you experience any work guilt in that balance? So I schedule time in, our team schedule time in to make sure that we're taking time for ourselves. What keeps you up at night? Things that stress you out or things that cause you anxiety in your business and your new practices? That I'd fail my team. 
And what gets you up and out of bed in the morning? What excites you to start your day? It's just redundant, but the team, um, knowing that we are creating and providing an environment that will keep people in our profession. Awesome. Well, thank you, Christine. Thank you. This thank has been amazing. So it was so great to Loved connect with every you. Second of it. Yeah. Awesome. Thank awesome. Guys, Best I of luck in your, yes. yeah, in your new endeavors. And we can definitely cross-pollinate if you and the partners at Partner want you to be featured. We can definitely cross-link socials and Best of luck launching some amazing new practices yeah. and disrupting yeah. the industry. And right. have a great rest Good of your job. weekend. Yes, thanks. For all the positive leaders listening out there, we hope you learned something to take back to your practice to put into use tomorrow. We want to hear from you. Good, bad, and everything in between. So email us at positiveleaders at gmail.com. That's positive with a P-A-W. Want to hear about a specific topic on the podcast? Email us. Want to have your You Can't Make This Shit Up story featured? Email us. You can listen to us on your favorite podcast app and subscribe to the Positive Leadership Podcast. And be sure to rate us. Check out our website at www.positiveleaders.com. That's positive with a P-A-W. And as always, catch us on all the socials. This is Andrea. And David. Signing off until next time. Stay happy and sane. The Positive Leadership Podcast is solely for informational purposes. The information, statements, comments, views, and opinions provided in this podcast are general in nature, and such information, statements, comments, views, and opinions, and the receipt of this podcast by any listener are not intended to be and should not be construed as the provision of any business advice. The information, statements, comments, views, and opinions expressed or provided in this podcast, including by speakers and guests, are those of Andrea Crabtree, David Liss, and their guests only, may not be current, and do not represent the statements, comments, views, and opinions of any other person or business entity. Andrea Crabtree, David Liss, and or the Positive Leadership Podcast do not make any representation or warranty as to the accuracy or completeness of any of the information, statements, comments, views, or opinions contained in this podcast, and any liability, therefore, including in respect of direct, indirect, or consequential loss or damage of any kind whatsoever, is expressly disclaimed.